Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. My guest this week has been described by Oprah Winfrey as much more than just a matchmaker, and I can testify to that. You know him as a dating agent or a matchmaking expert, but he is a father, a husband, a deep thinker, and the real definition of an influencer. He makes me want to be a better man. He makes you want to challenge your thoughts, and he influences the world to take a step back and to reflect on how they want to portray themselves. I can't believe I've got him on my podcast. I am so excited to say, joining me this week on Skidian Skirt is Paul C. Brunson. Hello, Paul one of the best intros I've ever had. You gave me chills when you just mentioned that, you know, I inspire you to be a better man. Thank you. This is, this is an honor. It's an honor to be with you, Jay. It's I an honor. I've asked, <laughs> I'm already crying. I've never <laughs> cried at my own presentation, but I've, <laughs> I've never done this before. I'm actually crying because you do make me want to be a better person. And the way, I, don't, I didn't think this would happen. We've not even started yet. <laughs> you, you make me want to be a better person, Paul. You show the world how incredible you are as a human being and how family orientated you are and how you want to just help everyone. And I feel like I'm doing like, you've died and I'm doing a, uh, an obituary to you. But it's true. You are amazing. And I didn't expect to cry. I'm so sorry. No, I, I tell you, this is what I say is you never apologize, never apologize for tears, because that means that you are being vulnerable. And vulnerability, when you show vulnerability in front of someone, that's actually the highest level of respect. Because that what that means is that you trust that person, right? And so, um, you know, it, th this is an honor. You know, I mentioned right before we, you, you, you hit start on this that I really respect, I trust and respect you. And I think that you're a phenomenal journalist. But more important, you're just a great human being. Like I can see you care, you know, and that's the most important, especially in this day and age. 
where so many people don't. It's, it's a, you're a breath of fresh air, for sure. Let's go back to when you first realized what love was, because I've never been in love. I'll give you my interpretation of what real love is. Romantic love. I feel like it's three components. And I, and I really try to drill this home on all the shows and all the content that I create. So one part of romantic love to me is friendship. It's very important, right? And Jay, you have friends. We're friends. You know, there's friendship. That's the level of respect, right? Then, in addition, there's intimacy. Now, whenever I say intimacy, immediately people think, okay, that means sex. No, that's not what intimacy means. Intimacy, or should I say sex, can be a component of intimacy, but intimacy is when you share a closeness. So you can be intimate with a best friend, right? That is a level of closeness. That's a level of access. That's a level of vulnerability that you just don't have with anyone. That's intimacy. And then the third piece, very important, is committed trust. You know that person is always going to make the best decisions on your behalf. You know that person will always be there for you. And that's the reason why I always say love is an action. So when you have a combination of that trusted commit commitment, you also have intimacy, you also have friendship, you have all three of those pieces, you have romantic love. I love that. And it links to obviously the love languages. There are five love languages out there. And we all take two of those love languages to make ourselves. For me, I am very much about words of affection. I'm very much, I would say I'm a very touchy person, but for someone else, it'll be about gifts and service of time. So trust, intimacy and friendship, they all work towards those love languages without taking the love languages out of the equation. Right. So love languages is interesting. So this was uh, really grandfathered by Dr. Gary Chapman, who originally came up, he was originally studying why is it that you can have two people in a relationship who claim to love each other, but yet they don't feel like they're being loved? And what's interesting is my wife and I were in that exact situation. We were five years into our marriage. I loved her. She loved me. But yet we didn't necessarily feel like we were being loved. And so this is, you know, so, so, so Dr. Gary Chapman unpacks the fact that, okay, the reason why is because just as, as we talk in different languages, we love in different languages. And it's incredibly important to do the work. This is why relationships require a lot of work. It's important to do the work and begin to decipher what is the language that your partner loves in and also what is your language? How do you receive love? And then be able to give love in that way. Really, the quality of your marriage or your committed relationship or whatever it is that you you know that that anyone single wants to have the quality of it will be based on the preparation this is the preparation the preparation is reading the book on love languages understanding what are love languages so therefore when you engage in the relationship automatically you know okay here's how i determine the the love language here's how i can love in that way so that my partner knows that i actually love them now is the time to do the work. And I think that book is, is one of the most important books that we could read. Well, this is really interesting because there are different ways to meet someone. There's the organic way, which obviously we'd love to all do, which is going to meet a girl in a bar, traditionally, 
<laughs> then there's the obviously the dating apps, which in the past 10 years have blown up. And then there's the matchmaking where you're putting yourself into someone else's hands. Now, matchmaking and the apps aren't organic, obviously. And therefore, you're having to build an even bigger, uh, you're on a bigger journey to find each other. Where do you sit on that? As a matchmaker, obviously, yourself, do you think that people should be trying to do it organically, app matchmaking, or just any way possible? Yeah, all of the above. All of the above. You know, it's very important to, to really trace back how we couple you know, and, and, you know, and I love history and I love uh, anthropology in particular. And when you go even, when you go even back to hunter gatherer times, so I'm talking about thousands of years BC, the number one way all the way through to today, the number one way that we meet our partners is through introductions, right? My grandfather, for example, met my grandmother in a small village in Jamaica, they were introduced by mutual friends, right? If people who are at a bar, right? You could just bump into someone, but typically it's going to be two groups of friends get together, someone gets introduced, right? Introductions are the number one way, even through today, where what happens is it's just simply introductions via text or via social media, right? So you could say, yeah, that's not necessarily organic, but introductions is key. Now, because of, and you just mentioned this, and this is very important, it's because of the rise of, 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 of dating apps. And, you know, that's something that we really need to spend a lot of time thinking about. Because in my opinion, there's no bigger influence on how people couple than dating apps, right? There's a lot of money behind these dating apps. You have Facebook, Match Group, Bumble, all a trillion, one is a trillion dollar company, one is 50 billion US, one is 20 billion US. These companies literally dictate our behavior. They dictate what we do. They dictate the reason why people place such high importance now on looks versus more other things, other characteristics, right? So the point there though, is that if you are intending on meeting someone, if that's your desire, the best thing that you can do is deploy it all. Have friends and family working on your behalf. Use dating apps. Use, uh, you know, get involved in organizations with people who share your values. If you can, go to a matchmaker, right? If you can do all of those things, there's a higher likelihood that you will end up meeting the one. And you mentioned the word values, values, deal breakers, et cetera. They're very important, but we're very individualistic to what our deal breakers are. For example, for myself, it's I want a girl who is fully Jewish. For yourself, I presume, you were, when you were looking for Jill, you wanted someone who was Jamaican or from a similar to heritage to you because you've got that in common. How important are deal breakers? And when we are also individualistic with our deal breakers, how important is it to respect each other's deal breakers rather than saying to someone, well, you know, your deal breaker, I don't know, let's say is a blonde girl with big breasts and, you know, the typical Barbie girl. Yeah, that's not actually plausible. Yeah, that's what that person wants. Yeah. So th this is a question I've, I've thought a lot about. You know, uh, my wife and I, uh, you know, when, when you have children, you begin to think about your mortality in a different way, right? And it's interesting because we've often talked about how, well, if one of us died, would the other one get married again? Would the other one get into a relationship? I mean, it's a very deep conversation. 
And we've both have talked about how we want the other to get to get in another relationship, right? To, to be married again. So we've, we've had this conversation and I have put myself in a state and I've told, told my wife is that, you know, quite honestly, and this sounds crazy, but I believe I would not necessarily have any deal breakers. Now you think, what are you crazy? Like you need to have something, right? Jamaican, like something, something. I, I truly believe, and, I, and I've seen this with matchmaking, and this is, this is a deep one, but the people who have the least amount of uh, items on the list, so to speak, right? The least amount of items on the list, but yet want just four core things. They have the highest match rate. What are the four core things? A, shared values. Not interests, but values. Values are, that's your code to life. Like, so that could be religion. That could be um, ambition, right? Et cetera, values. Two is personality. Being able to have a complementary personality where you can communicate. Three, making sure that not necessarily that they're deal breakers, but what I call non-starters. Non-starters are things that directly impact your health or happiness. So say, for example, um, you know, your partner is a drug addict. Well, that's going to definitely negatively impact your relationship. So you can't, so non-starters. And then last but not least, physical attraction, right? So if you have physical attraction, there are no non-starters, you have a complementary personality and you have shared values. If you just have those four things if, and you can remove everything else off your list, you have a higher likelihood of finding someone who is going to match well with you in life. And so that's a hard one for, I think, a lot of people to grasp onto because you think, well, you know, I want to have someone who shares this or X or Y. But to me, you know, the highest level of, of, of evolved thinking is to be able to remove everything. And, 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 and Jay, let me just give you this. This is interesting to me. Is so, you know, I've been in the matchmaking. I've been not just on TV, but real life matchmaking for a decade. And I've had clients as young as like 25, 26. And I've had clients as old as 76. But most of the clients are right around late 30s, early 40s. And you know what the, the, the difference is? Is... When you have a client who is 20, 27, 20, you know, 26, they're typically fairly open in terms of what, what, what they want, right? They don't have a long list. Maybe they have you know, 10 things that they want. By the time most people get to about 40 and they've lived this life and they've structured their life in a certain way, they need someone who's going to fit their mold. So therefore, they then have this long list. I've literally had somebody show up who's had 150 items of what they wanted. They're like, Paul, he needs to have good feet. He needs to have, you know, his fingernails need to look like X. He needs to have this much hair on his body. Like all, all of the, these things that you think, what, this is so obscure. But that person has lived so much of their life that they say, okay, this is what I need to, to work with me. But Jay, what do you think happens to the list of the 76-year-old? So when the 76-year-old walks in to the agency, 
he or she, how many items do you think are on, on their list? I would say that it will be similar to a 26 year old because all those superficial things that you said that the mid 40s person would say, they've already gone. You know, the looks have sagged, everything has changed again. And they're now into this new version of themselves now, which they can't do anything more of. They're just having to accept the way they are now. Like, it goes back to the fundamentals. Literally, when I'll never forget when she called me, which is interesting. You think, wow, she's 76, right? She's widowed. You know, she says, Paul, I literally want a man who could walk up the stairs. That's all I want is he needs to have the ability to walk up the stairs. Cause she was like, you will not believe how many 76 year olds need assistance to walk up the stairs. She said, that, that's, that's all I need. Right. And you think about that and you, you can laugh and say, oh, okay. She just wants somebody to walk up the stairs. But really what has happened is exactly what you said. She's reached a point where it's all about the fundamentals. Everything else is just icing on the cake, but the fundamentals are the priority. And that's where I go back to when, we're, when you're looking for a match is for anyone, if you can focus on the fundamentals, right? The fundamentals, you're going to end up finding someone who is going to be absolutely amazing for you. And this is interesting because I would presume the 26-year-old and 76-year-old are both looking for just happiness, for completeness, because they're just missing something that's going to complete them or what they think they perceive is a utopia of happiness and completion. Whereas the 46-year-old, they've got that big list because they're working towards something because it's almost like a business arrangement. I need you because I'm, let's say, a, 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 a guy in my mid fifties, I've never had children. I need a mummy to, I need a woman to make my children, etc. And I think yeah. that's also where that comes into. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is, you know, I always look at it as uh, independence versus dependence, right? At 26, someone is saying, wow, you know, I'm, 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 I'm an adult, you know, I'm independent. I'm finally out of my parents, you know, purview. I can now do what I need to do. I don't necessarily want to be dependent on anyone right now. I just want to be in a relationship where we can kind of depend on each other, but I don't want to fully depend on anyone, right? In other words, they want to be interdependent. They want to be within a relationship. They're dependent on the relationship, but within it, they want to be independent. When you're 76 and you're, 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 you're single, you're independent, right? You maybe you've been living life for, you know, 50 years by yourself or 20, 10 years, however it may be, you're independent. You definitely, a lot of 76 year olds, they don't want to get married. So they're not looking for to depend on anyone, but they want to, you know, couple with someone. So they want to be interdependent. But to your point, right, where you've been spot on with this is the 40 year old, typically they want to be dependent on someone. They want to be in a, I wanted to kind of depend on someone at this juncture in my life. So that goes back to why, if we can think in that mindset of fundamentals, how can I be interdependent in a relationship, right? If you could put that cap on, you'll be so much more successful in who you match with. And, and I'll just say this real quick, and this is, this is so important because, you know, I track the marriage rates around the world. This is something that I've, I've been looking at actively for the last 10 years. And a matter of fact, I just posted something on this um, on IG where we're facing a real critical time in, in the world. Marriage rates are dropping in every category, every ethnicity, 
every religion, it's dropping with one exception, and that is among the wealthiest people in the world. Among the wealthiest, the marriage rate has stayed the same for the last you know, 50 years, and the divorce rate has stayed the same. It's very low. But among every other group, marriage rates are dropping and divorce is increasing. Many people, many of you know, people like at Brookings Institute and, and, and Pew Research Center, they have predicted that anywhere between 50 and 100 years, the marriage rate conceivably will drop to 0% among most of the world. They think about that. You think, okay, well, it's cool. I don't need anybody. I don't need to be married. Marriage, what is marriage? No, marriage fundamentally is an institution of preservation. This is really what it's about. It's about preservation. For some, it's about preserving genetics. For some, it's about preserving assets. To some, like you and myself, I think it's more so about preserving culture, right, and tradition. And you think if you don't have marriage as an institution, then all of that stuff disappears. That's a problem, right? And so I think this is one of those areas, and this is one of the reasons why I'm so, you know, passionate about this, is I'm a big believer in love, but I'm also a big believer, big believer in coupling and marriage and, and, and the importance of it. I don't really know what to say to you because I'm at a, a point of, that's really interesting, that the preservation of marriage as an institution, I agree with. It's a sustainability of the future of generations based on what we do now. And that's society. But then we take it back to the individual. And you've got those who were very active in having relationships from, let's say, 12, 13, 14 years old. Then you've got those who, 20, 21, 22, and then you've got those in their 30s as well. And that's about love and finding someone, not necessarily marriage, but just finding someone. And I think you're right. We are now all much about independency. We're all about being our own storytellers and being on our own journeys. And I think and I might be wrong, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but meditation and gratitude and everything we do on working on ourselves is higher than we've ever done since it began in the olden times. I don't think 20 years ago we'd have been thinking about, right, got to go to therapy today, got to go to Reiki tomorrow, got to do some meditation on Thursday. Whereas now we're focusing on ourselves, yet marriage is that next step. But as you said, it's an institution, but actually it's Again, is this utopia that we're all looking for the American dream, which is marriage? Is it we're looking for the career? Or is it looking just to be happy in ourselves? Well, it's, it, it begins and ends with ourselves, right? We, we, we have to be happy with who we are at the beginning and the end of the relationship. Otherwise, the relationship is, is, is worthless, right? So it, it begins and ends with ourselves. But I also think it's important to look at coupling so, and I, and I call it coupling because it, it's marriage isn't necessarily the institution for, for preservation. It could be just simply coupling. But my point though, is that we, as we are social creatures, as human beings, we are social. If you look at the anthropology of this, one of my favorite, uh, you know, uh, books of all time is uh, evolutionary psychology by David Buss. And what he makes crystal clear as well as Helen Fisher, who's another favorite anthropologist of mine, uh, also uh, of idol, really, of mine. What they make crystal clear is that we, as human beings, as social creatures, you can't survive 
without others. You need to have others, right? You literally need to have others. You can't survive without others. And then on top of it, you need to be close with others to thrive. You must have others just to survive, but your, survive, your thriving is dependent on your closeness to those others. If you really peel that back, you'll realize that literally since the beginning of time, that is how we have thrived and survived as human beings. So it's no different today. The challenge today, and, 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 I, and this is where it's interesting because I'm, I'm pro both sides. I'm pro we should be independent. We should do our meditation. We should feel good. We should have high, like we, sh we should be, you know, we, we, we sh we, we, we've got to be independent. Like I, I get that. But at the same time, that coupling thing, that's not really happening much anymore. Oh yeah, that's really important. And we can't forget that as well. Well, this is the problem because we've gone a year during the COVID crisis of forgetting how to communicate and how to connect to other people. And we're going to suddenly come out and go, I don't really need to do anything. I'm very happy walking. I'm very happy in my own company. I'm very happy. Okay. I might see this friend or that friend, but I've forgotten how to communicate and how to connect with another human being now. And actually I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to events anymore. So that situation wouldn't even occur now. Yeah, no, no, you're spot on. Like there, all already, there are you know experts and various people predicting how socially awkward we all are. You know, it's not just adults, it's kids. You know, it's like my seven and ten year old haven't played with another with their peers in a year. You know, it's one of those where what's going to happen when they're now in proximity? You know, it's going to be very unusual. Now, that being said, we're humans and we're going to adapt fairly quickly. But to uh, another point you made, and that is, well, some of us will say, wow, well, we actually preferred being alone or we preferred not going to the live event. We prefer that. That is definitely going to be a thing. But just like we may have come up with preferences in terms of physical distance, we still cannot thrive and survive without those connections. So just like you and I are, are we're, we're, you know, we're, we're doing this on, on um, you know, on Zoom, right? We're, we're, we're still connecting, right? We're not within physical proximity. You're in the UK, I'm in the United States, but this is still important. And I don't think this will ever not be important. But is that not because we've connected and I've known you for about three years now. So that connection was already there. Whereas if you're going to go out into the world again and try to connect with new people, that's where people are going to struggle. Oh yeah, they're going to struggle, but, but we have to do that. And the, re and, and, and the, the, the reason why, and actually there's, there's really good research on this too. So there's a professor uh, from Stanford named Mark Granovetter. Mark Granovetter. And he wrote, uh, he did a, at first it was a study, then it became a paper, then it became a lecture series called strengthening weak ties, strengthening weak ties. What does that mean? And, and you know, why is that even important? It was a landmark study because what it suggested is that most of the opportunity that we get in life comes from our weakest ties. So, so what is like, what does that mean, right? All of us have approximately, right? 150 real friends. 
Now, I know a lot of people are like, Paul, whatever, I've got 10,000 followers on IG or whatever. No, they're not your friends, right? We have about 150 real friends, roughly. Some people have 200, some people have 50, whatever, but we roughly 150. This is called the Dunbar Rule. So there's good science behind this, the Dunbar Rule. Now, out of the roughly 150 real friends that we have, most of the new jobs that we get, spouses that we get introduced to, tickets that we get, like all the opportunities, they don't necessarily come from the people who are nearest to us, right? The, the best friends, the top five, the top 10. They come from the 150th friend, the 149th friend, right? Now to your point of, yeah, we're, we're all going to be, just be happy and content with the friends that we do have. Well, those who will excel in life, those who are going to come out of the pandemic and end up thriving, right? Are going to be the people who continue to add new people to their network, right? And fire old friends. That's the 150. You and I are a great example of that. We didn't know each other three years ago, right? We could have, we met each other in a professional setting. I could have been distant. You could have been distant. We could have interacted from a professional standpoint and that was it. But instead we engaged with each other, right? You jumped into my 150, I jumped into your 150. And as a result of you being in my 150, my life is better. You know what I mean? Hopefully as a result of me jumping into your 150, your life is better. This is how we end up thriving over time. We keep playing this, you know, it's not necessarily a game, but it's this kind of, you know, inclusion, exclusion situation. And all I'm saying to your, to your question is that we have to be aware of this. We need to be methodical about this. And when the world opens back up, right, we have to continue to add people to that 150. And as well, we have to continue to dismiss those people who have been found to be toxic, right, in that 150. And I think that's really important because this year we've realized who our friends really are. You know, but prior to that, we'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, this is the year where and I've, I've been very open with cutting friends off and saying to them, they've said, to them, well, why are we distant? And my excuse is, you haven't checked in on me. Done. I don't care what it is. It's been a year. We could have gone for a walk. We could have spoken on the phone, spoken on Zoom but you haven't checked in on my mental health. I live alone and I'm not saying that I'm, you know, a victim to this, but to me, it's important. And I think you're right. And we have to then also go through the process of grieving for that friend that we've lost. I think it's very difficult to go and go, right, that friend's dead to us. That's it done. You've got to still grieve for it because they were a part of your life. And this has been the year where we've reevaluated who we really are, what our purpose is. You prior to this year, we're very much seen as a celebs go dating expert, full stop. You're now a matchmaker on Married at First Light Australia. We'll come to that. You're also a matchmaker in the professional sense, but people have a different purpose for you. And likewise for me, I hide behind my title. And this has been the year where we've gone, well, I can't do any matchmaking because I can't send anyone out on dates. I can't do much TV, although you did do celebs go dating the mansion, <laughs> but we don't talk about that for <laughs> other reasons. Um, and your purpose, my purpose have completely changed this year. Yeah. You, you, you know, uh, I feel like I've been reborn this year. You know, I've, I've actually worked harder, uh, launched more projects um, than ever 
at the, since the beginning of the lockdowns, which were basically, you know, March of 2020, you know, I've, I've, I've written a, a, a book, you know, um, launched my podcast, you know, launched an entrepreneurial community, um, shot three TV shows, you know, during that time. Um, I, I have, uh, uh, like I've been on a tear, you know, and, you know, and, and, and by the way is, I think that the pandemic, no matter how productive or unproductive you feel like you've been, the more important is what you said. And that is, is just identifying who is really in your corner. You know, I always say that the most toxic people in your life are disguised as family and friends. Right. And, and, and I think that's very important for us to realize is that the most successful people in the world, they don't hang on to anything that's toxic for long. That's what makes them successful. So this is a great time for everyone to reevaluate who does not need to be in your life and remove them. Well, I just want to pick up on your projects because you very quickly passed on your podcast. The Better With Full podcast is so good. You did an amazing episode last year all about is Will Smith the greatest content director in the world? And I absolutely love that. I'm obsessed with his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, only since about four months ago when I found out about Red Table Talk. Yes. And completely changed my life, Red Table Talk. Completely opened up these conversations I never thought I'd have. And your podcast, they're long episodes, about an hour and a half usually. But God, do you learn something on that? And that is something that I've never actually told you. I do listen to it. And Appreciate it. better with Paul, life is really better with Paul. I, I appreciate it. You know, uh, it, it's, and I, I appreciate a, you not only talking about that one particular episode, but also you mentioned how long it is. It's, you know, it's an hour and a half, you know, there, uh, so many podcasts, you know, you talk to podcast experts and they'll tell you, you know, keep it short, 15 minute podcast, five minute podcast, 20 minute, oh, 30 minutes, oh, 45 minutes is too long. Some of the podcasts, my podcast, like an hour and 45 minutes. And the reason why is because I really like to unpack topics. And the other thing that I, I try to do actively with Better With Paul is I try to spotlight uh, voices from around the world. So we'll talk to folks in the UK, we'll talk to folks in West Africa, we'll talk to folks from the United States, talk to folks from the Caribbean, right? I, I, I wanna kind of get this, this, this wide variety of folks. But at the end of the day, my goal is you leave that podcast better than who you were when you started the podcast. That, that's, that's the objective. We all live different experiences and you can't walk into someone else's shoes. And therefore, we learn by our mistakes. And I'm not saying anything is a mistake, but we do all make mistakes. We're not all flawless. And we're all young. We're all still learning. You know, being a 40-year-old doesn't necessarily mean you're an adult. Yes, right. technically you are but you can still make mistakes when you're 40 years old and regret them for the rest of your life. And it's how you change that. How do you then perceive yourself to the world? Do you want to be respected in the world? Respected <laughs> right. or trusted? Right. So th th this, is, this, is, this is good. So uh, yeah, that, that, that's something you refer to something that I, I actually uh, just posted. And I did that because I had a conversation with my wife about it. You know, oftentimes it's interesting. Uh, th this is a, uh, this is my, my inside to you is 99% of the time I post, I'm posting about a, you know, thought or debate that I'm having within myself, 
you know, uh, or, you know, I, I um, got off of a call where I was mentoring someone and it was a dilemma in the call. So therefore I was helping them to think through it. So normally that that's what drives it. And my wife and I were having this conversation around trust and respect. And we both said, we'd rather be trusted. And the reasoning behind it is because while trust and respect are often used kind of interchangeably, they're actually quite different, especially in relationships. And it's very important for us to understand that, you know, trust is essentially you believing that the person you have trust in is always going to do right by you. They're always going to make decisions that they believe are going to be in your best interest. That's what trust is. Now, what is respect? Respect is a little bit different. Respect is when you actually admire a quality about someone. You could admire all, all of them, right? You could look up to them totally, but it's more so about a character, characteristic. It's about a quality. But the bigger difference is that when you respect someone, that person is not necessarily always going to make interests or decisions on your best behalf. And you have to really think about that. So therefore, trust is the way to go. Because if you are trusted, you are also respected. But if you are respected, you're not always trusted. We've got to move the conversation on. I could talk to you for hours about all this, but obviously... My day-to-day -day job is being a showbiz journalist and I can't not go showbiz with you uh, for the remaining time on this podcast. So let's go back to 2018. Three years ago, you get the call to say, can you do Sepka dating? And for those that remember, uh, don't remember, I don't want to go into too much detail because I'm dear friends with Nadia. You joined Nadia's series when her and Eden had a big falling out. Nadia then left as well and you were left alone. How was your first year in Sepka dating? Because it was quite a journey off screen as well as on screen for you it was mad i mean one is i'm still friends with nadia as well you know shout out to nadia the new mom so that's good it was wild a backstory that i don't i don't know if anyone really knows is that year so that was what 2018 you mentioned the summer of 2018 my wife and i were planning on moving to jamaica so we literally had blocked june july and august and we were going to go to jamaica for three months so we blocked our calendar, we prepared our house and everything to move. And then about 45 days before we were, we were due to move, my manager gets this call and they're like, hey, they, they want you to come to the UK for the show. I had never seen Celebs Go Dating. And quite honestly, I've never watched uh, an, an episode. I still haven't watched any of the earlier episodes. And the reason why is because I, I don't want to try to mimic something that I see right? I want to bring my authenticity to, to the project. Um, I checked out Nadia, right? And I was like, yeah, she seems cool. You know, she, seem, she seems like she'll be cool. Um, I didn't know any of the celebrities, but because primarily, because we had blocked out that time, we said, let's just go to the UK. We have the three months. They, they, they need me for, for basically the end of June, July, and August. Let me go. And uh, I went with zero expectation. Quite honestly, the show was secondary. I went more so so that my wife and I and my, our two boys could travel around the UK, could travel to Paris, you know, we could go to Spain. That, that was really the driver. My expectation was one series, hang out, have a good time in Europe for three months, come back, that's it. Got there, did the series. Um, it was a lot going on in the series. 
And it was actually the very end of the series that changed my life. And I, I, I won't um, say who I was having the conversation with, but I was talking to two of the celebs on the show. And I'll never forget it. We were in the airport. We're coming back from, I don't know where we were flying from, Greece or whatever, because at the end, you know, we always do this holiday trip. And so the show is, is wrapped. We're done filming. And I said, wow. I said, wow, that was, that was wild. Like, I'm just I was just talking to them about the show. I was like, wow, that, that was wild. And they said, um, they said something like, yeah, it didn't seem like you were acting much in it. And I said, acting? I said, were you guys acting? And they said, Paul, you weren't acting? And I said, what? You were acting? Right? It was, it was one of those where I was saying, I, it, was, it was an epiphany. I'm telling you, Jay, this, this was an epiphany where I was not acting, right? I assumed no one was acting. And I came to realize there was a little bit of, you know, little bit of acting, a little bit of playing up to the camera. And that was the moment where I, I thought, wow, you know, th this is, th this is, that's interesting because I, I wasn't acting and I'm sure the audience is going to hate the fact that I wasn't acting, right? Because that, that's terrible. So that'll be the end of the show. And I didn't really care much about like losing the gig. I was more so thinking, oh, that's too bad for the audience, right? Because they're not going to get what they're, what they're maybe used to getting. So anyway, the, sh the show ran, it did really well. And one of the top, the feedback that came back was, we really liked the authenticity in the agency. So when Anna came and joined the show, Anna came in with no, there was, there was, this, there was like no thought of, okay, this is going to be an act. Anna and I sat down and, and we were like, no, what, what we're going to do is we're going to be us, 100% us. When the celeb walks through that door, this domain being the agency is a domain of truth. Okay, this is a domain of authenticity. And, and we're going to sustain that. We're going to keep that. And that's exactly what we've done. And this is the reason why I sometimes get upset, especially now, you know, have, having done, you know, five, six series, if you include the virtual series, is that I think that most celebs get it. The agency, we don't play with the agency. It's serious, right? But some kind of will treat it as an act, right? And that's the part that, that, that I always say, no, no, no. That's not respect, right? This, in this space, in this, in this agency, what we're doing is we are giving you, we're going to sit down and we're going to give you everything that we have. We're going to pull on every theory that we know. We're going to pull on every experience that we know. If we have to do research outside, we're going to pull on all that. But the only thing we have to base all of that information on is what you tell us as the celeb. And if you are telling us, if it's fiction, right? If you're, if you're, if you're playing a character, well, that means that our, our, our work is useless. That means you're wasting my time, right? But if you're coming in here authentically and you're giving us fact, well, then we can help to change your life. 
and um, and 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 that's that's how the experience is, is going with, with with celebs. And so I've been really proud to see how the agency has been embraced as a center of truth. But the problem you've got, and we've discussed this many times, Paul, is that you've got two types of celebs who join the agency. You've got the celebs who have just left Love Island or Made in Chelsea or Towie, and their agent has put them forward because it's right, you need to get on the next show, you need to keep yourself relevant in the media. But then you've got the older celebs, and this is what we've always discussed, the people like Alison Hammond, Lady Colin Campbell, Kerry Katona, who have all been there because they actually want to find love. And there's a very clear difference between the two sets. Then you get to the Mansion series, and you've got Wayne Lineker. And Wayne Lineker kind of feeds into both parties in a weird uh, sort of way. So have you noticed a change in the way, for example, the Love Island stars and those Towie stars have changed their attitude to the agency, embracing it, or do you still see it as they're here for their pay packet? You know, if they want to hook up with another celeb for a bit of TV time because they want a bit of extra coverage, just let them get on with it. I'd rather focus on the people that actually want to be here for the deep dives and the actual love. Yeah, you're spot on, Jay. I think the agents and the managers of a lot of these celebs, they say, hey, this is a great gig. You know, get on the show and you could extend your, you know, um, the amount of time that you have, in, you know, in, in terms of celeb land. Um, but when they get to the show, literally on the first day, I think, not, not I think, I know, because I've literally watched all of them. I've watched all of them in shock that, this, that, that, that the agency is serious. And most of them, I'd say 90%, really most of them, are 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 like are, are like just so don't even know how to handle it. So it's like what? Because I can understand it's a mind trip. It's, it's like so it's a reality show. I just came from a reality show, but yet this part is real. I, I, like this is weird, right? And so I could see that it, it 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 takes time for them to really figure it out. But most of them get it. The other and there's two pieces that really help them to get it. One is that. Anna and I, you know, this is us. Like, we're no different off camera than we are on camera. So when we're not filming, when we're walking in the halls of the mansion or wherever it may be and people stop us or we're, we're talking to them, they, they see that we're not playing a character. This is exactly who we are. We care about them. We're still sending messages to them, checking in on them when we're not on camera. So that helps them to understand we're real. And the other thing that helps them to understand that we're real are the previous celebs. You know, folks like, I know you've had Pete, you know, on the show, you know, folks like Pete who have been on the show already, they see that we're real. And then uh, Lockie, James Locke will come on. Pete's already told James, hey, they're real. Like, just get ready for this. So James already comes on thinking, okay, I I'm probably going to get some real, you know, to it. And then he understands. So he's better able to adapt, right? So that's, that's been very helpful. The, you know, the previous celebs who've been on letting their friends know that that joined the show. But then surely it is a TV show at the end of the day. So when they're being matched with a potential love interest, sometimes we know, well, I know that it's more for the TV cameras than actually this is going to be something you'll come out. I'm thinking of, I don't want to say, I don't want to say the person, but if the person's listening, they know who they are. But that person I know would have gone for someone who would have had a certain value oh, yeah. that they were looking for in someone else. Am I given enough to help oh, yeah. with that? Oh, no, 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 no. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and actually, let me go back and say that 
the agency, all of the, all of 100% of the coaching and counseling that's happening in the agency, that's 100% like, you know, if you want to call it real, right? That's, that's real. The matches, some of those matches are just entertaining. You know what I mean? It, 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 and you could look at it two ways. You could say, okay, one is you always want to be matched with someone who you believe is your type. But then you can also argue and say, does anyone really know what their type is? So therefore, it's good to be matched with people who don't necessarily fit your type so that you can walk away with the lesson, right? That's ultimately what it is. Now, once again, you know, I'm always going to keep it real, is one of the things I've been asking for is for our ability, myself and Anna's ability, to be more involved with matching which is something that I had talked to when I was asked to join Married at First Sight UK. That was part of what I requested on the front end, right? I didn't know that about Celebs Go Dating, you know, when I, when I got there, but because I became familiar with what was happening, when I got the job for Married at First Sight UK, I asked that on the front end. I need to be involved with matching. This is, this is what I do, right? So it's, it, it'll make a farce of what I do if I'm not involved with it. And they they allowed it, um, which I'm you know very thankful for. But how does that work though? Because they're making a TV show, and I'm thinking of Married at First Sight Australia season six. Two years later, we've all binged it on all four this year. How does that work though? Because that series, and actually, Subsco Dating the Mansion series, that was also just on TV. Both of those were highly entertaining, or made for entertainment purposes rather than for love. So the cost for both series, because I'm watching season five of Married at First Start Australia now, both of those costs, the age difference, the way that it was more for the cameras, you could completely see a difference. So if you're going to be matchmaking, the producers are going, well, it needs to be entertaining. We care about the ratings. We care about the viewers. We care about people staying on the channel. And you're going, well, actually, I'd rather have no matches and it's authentic than just it for the camera. You had a 75% success rate last series. So that needs to become a hundred, but not to detriment the entertainment value of that. Yeah, you, you just presented the biggest debate that happens behind the scenes right now uh, for Married at First Sight. And how that gets resolved, or, or how that's getting resolved, is that, so first, we have had a record number of applicants, which helps for Married at First Sight. So more applicants have, who have ever applied in the history of the UK show, right? This is the sixth series, more that's ever applied have applied now. So we have a, a massive pool, right? So that's one. Secondly is what we've done is, so I'm now in my third month of interviews. As soon as this podcast is over, I have more interviews. You know what I mean? So I'm in my third month of interviews. The way that it's working is that, um, so we have a team behind the scenes and I'm part of that team who is working on, on, on vetting. So actually, let me, let me just, I'll just tell you the exact process. I don't think I'm, you know, giving anything away here is first there's an application. So you apply to become part of Married at First Sight UK. Then after you go through the standard application, you get a background check, right? To verify that you are who you say you are. Then there's a psych check to make sure that you will have the mental stability to be on the show. Then you go through 
a, a, not a, 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 a simply mental health, but you go through another level of a psychological check, right? So you've gone through now several levels. If you make it through to that level, once you've made it through to that level, then there's a production slash network view to see, is this person going to bring the entertainment value? Is this person going to, you know, um, you know keep uh, Jay watching this show night after night after night after night, right? So there's that check. Then once that has been vetted, then we have a pool, which is still a fairly massive pool. That's when I start talking. That's when I start interviewing. I'm, I interview friend. I interview the candidate. I interview their friends and family. I interview past boyfriends, girlfriends. That's when I get to do my thing, right? And after I've done my thing, we then get together, and we actually debate out the matches. And they all know that I have nixed several matches where people may say on the team, you know, maybe one of the psychologists say, oh, this person could be great with this person. And I'll say, what? Are you crazy? I never saw my name to that, right? And you, you see this debate happening back and forth. So we have now changed the casting process to what I consider to be one of the most robust matchmaking systems, period. Because the biggest challenge that matchmakers have, because I know I've been a matchmaker for 10 years, is matchmakers don't get 15, and I'm not saying we have 15,000, but last year we had uh, 7,000, so, and we did more. So let's say we had 15, 20,000. Matchmakers don't get 15, 20,000 people applying like that. You know, they, they, they don't get that. So we have such a massive pool that we're able to create a system that allows for us to get the entertainment value, but also get great matches. Well, and then obviously you've done the matchmaking, the show then begins, and then you've got commitment ceremonies, you've got dinner parties, and we see you pop up here and there. You're there for doing a job. You've done the matchmaking side, now it's just watching the journey. What's your involvement once that happens? Uh, and I'm referring to Sam from season six, Married at First Australia, and obviously you're very authentic with, with what you do. But he very clearly stated on his, on his IG videos that the producers would be saying to you, right, you're going to do a commitment Sony. Now I want you to, I don't know, let's say talk to this contestant and ask him about this. Or is this you're now in a counselling environment and you've gone from matchmaker to counsellor? Yeah, so I haven't seen Married at First Sight uh, I haven't seen any of them in Australia. And the, and the reason why is because I want to be authentic. I want to bring my thing to it. I don't want to duplicate whatever, uh, whatever is happening. Um, but one thing that uh, the viewers should know about me and everyone who's worked with me knows this and producers who work with me know this for good or for bad is I don't take direction. If a producer is in my ear and says, it would be great for you to ask blase, blase, blah. If I think it would be great for me to ask blase, blase, blah, I'll ask it. If the producer comes in my ear and says, you should ask blase, blase, blah, and I think it's not a good question, it's not the right time, I won't ask it. I've literally taken my earpiece out in a scene, right? So I am, me personally, that's how I'm able to uh, you know, remain true to who I am is by being authentic on and off the camera. Now, I think 
from what I hear people talk about with regard to uh, Mary at First Sight Australia is that I think that the bigger difference with UK is last year, myself and the team, we counseled and coached all of the participants on screen as well as off screen. To this day, we had four couples, there's eight of them. I'm in touch with seven of the people to this day, a year later, okay, to this day. I'm even in touch with some of the people who didn't make it, but I interviewed last year. So for this series, it's the same thing. Once the matching is done, myself and Mel become counselors for the couples, and we will forever be connected to them. So second from last question for you, Paul. Obviously, Mel is now going to be your new TV wife, but for so long, Anna has been your TV wife. Anna and Paul, Paul and Anna, it just goes together like chalk and cheese. It just works. How are you, you going to find having a new on-screen wife? And number one, is Anna annoyed? Because I think she should be a bit mad at first sight. And secondly, you're kind of cheating on all your other wives you've got. You're becoming a bit of a bigamist, my friend. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's wild, man. You know, you, you actually nailed it. The moment that I found out about Mel, um, A is, you know, it's one of those where I was aware of who Mel was and I love how authentic she is, right? So I love, I love her. I felt in a way I would be cheating on Anna. I really did feel that way. Uh, and so here's how I think, you know, we all look at it from the TV side is we all know that we have different projects. We have different gigs. Um, you know, Anna, uh, recently hosted a show on Channel 4. She had different co-hosts for that show. Uh, Tom, you know, uh, is also, he, he's doing work on different projects. So whenever we're doing work on other projects, what I love about Tom, what I love about Anna is that we actually support each other in those projects. And it really shows you how incredible a person Anna is because, you know, the moment, the moment, you know, it was interesting. When I found out about getting married at first sight, Anna and Tom were two of the first people I told. And they, you could tell when you tell a friend, and this is really tough. And Jay, you know this because you, you know, you're in, in this industry, is in the end, man, this, this, this is the the television and entertainment industry is the dirty, one of one of the dirtiest industries in the world. You know, you got people out here that are just out here trying to, you know, trying to take you out, you know. But you can tell when someone is truly there in your corner and supporting you. And I'll never forget when I told them how excited they were and how supportive Anna uh, and Tom were and how supportive and excited they remain to this day, right? And so it's just a testament to friendship, to, to true friendship. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think they're incredible. And, and then I will say this too about Mel is, Mel is also the same way. I remember Mel, she, she messaged me uh, on WhatsApp, and we and we talked, and she was like, "Just so you know, I love you and Anna together. You know, you two are the best." I, she she because she was like, "I'm a big Celebsco dating fan. I love you guys." And and I and I love that. You know, it shows that um, it shows that we have respect and trust for each other. Beautiful, my friend, and I love that she watches Celebs Go Dating as a fan because, you know, for us in Britain, we know of a celebs, but it just shows as well, 
even if you don't know the celebs, you should still invest in the show. My final question for you, Paul, is give me an affirmation or a positive quote that you would always remember that we can go away with today. Your uniqueness is your superpower. The reason why I say that is because where we are different, we often try to minimize. I, for example, for a long time, I, I talk at a slower pace than most people talk on television. And most people, when I got into TV, said, Paul, talk faster. You have to talk faster. You have to talk at a faster pace, right? People are, you, you can't have a television career unless you talk fast. But actually, because I talk at a slower pace, I get fewer words out. But the words resonate stronger. I never changed that about me. I that's something unique. I embraced it and it ended up helping me. security and secure what an extraordinary man he is this is episode 80 of security and secure. i've done 80 episodes now this and i'm sorry to say to all the other 80 people that have been on it this is the best episode i've ever done and i it is a career highlight for me and works on my podcast i've got to say i've never learned so much from one human being please go and check out paul's podcast please go and check out paul on instagram and on twitter he will just keep inspiring you and just keep you grounded to want to be a better person You've been listening to Johnny Seaford on Security and Security. If you've liked what you heard, please help me. Please spread the word, especially about this podcast in particular. Please do share it. At Johnny Seaford, at Security and Security Podcast, at Paul C. Bunton, I want you to be sharing the screenshots of you listening to this week's episode. I then want you to go onto Apple iTunes and click follow on the podcast. Then go down to the bottom, click five stars and leave a review. It's really important, especially today, you share this episode with your peers, but also on Apple iTunes so that more and more people can know it's okay to not be okay and to learn about love and what it means and how to connect people. I've been Johnny Seifert. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.